This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Third feet. Third feet. It is Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's check in with Greg Murphy. Murphy, got a special guest, huh? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Parks Casino Sportsbook app. It is good to have you with us today, and it is really good to have our guest on the program this afternoon, and that is Tommy Green, number 49 for the Fighting Phils, six years with the Phillies, eight years in the big leagues, and uh, one of our, our favorite people to be around <laughs> and to talk to, so it certainly is good to have Tommy on the program today. Uh, good to see you, man. How, how are you? Uh, thanks for having me on, Murph. And uh, along with you, you're one of the best people. So, <laughs> well, I mean, thank, you. thank you very much. Uh, you're looking good as always. Uh, no, and, I doubt uh, that. I don't feel it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the life of a former athlete, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. You're feeling it, man. They're getting older. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's jump back back to probably when the body was feeling uh, really good because yeah. uh, I was looking as I was getting ready for this conversation. I was looking yeah. at a couple different things, and I and I was looking back at some of the numbers that yeah. a young Tommy Green put up in high school in North Carolina. So oh, you went you went way back. Oh, I was I was doing some research. <laughs> that's a that's a long time ago, Murph. Yeah, it you is. Had to, you had to blow the dust off that computer to get to that. I am going to tax your memory, but you know, <laughs> when I was looking, it, it's not surprising when when former big league ball players, you look back at their numbers in high school and they did everything well. You were a good hitter. You were obviously an outstanding pitcher uh, in your days in high school. But what I was, what I saw, I I was. Re- just it was remarkable. Nine no hitters is what I what I read. Did you threw yeah. nine no hitters in high school? Tell me a little bit about that. They, you must have been that guy in North Carolina that nobody wanted to face. Well, uh, I mean, I didn't look at it that way. It was always I wanted to face the best, and I was hoping they wanted to face you know somebody who had a, a good caliber. And yeah. that, that seemed to be what we do. We were a small two A high school in North Carolina, so I look at it like this: I was a big fish in a small pond. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, I was a grown man my senior year. I mean, I was, you know, six, five, two thirty coming out of high school right. as a pitcher. And a lot of guys don't bloom during that time. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I've, I've worked hard. You know, I was fortunate enough to have a good coach that taught me the fundamentals and stuff, not just in pitching. He wasn't a pitching guy, but, but he taught me the mentality as a hitter. Um, what pitchers tend to, you know, should do. You know, mm-hmm. and and it kind of helped me. He said, "You're gifted with a good arm. Use it." He said, "Don't sit there and try to trick everybody all the time. Use it. Command what you do." And I mean, it made you know, it helped me. That helped a ton because I was a fastball guy, and I worked everything off the fastball. And if you command your fastball, pretty much, I mean, first everything else is going uh, sort of come a little bit, and that's mm-hmm. what sort of happened with me. So it gave me uh, uh, the high school thing, but the no hitter thing. It was uh, uh, I, I, it's, hard, it's hard to. And that's sort of the way I, I went about it. I attacked people with fastballs. No, I didn't have a high school coach that taught me how to throw uh, or pitching coach. I didn't have a pitching coach that, that taught me how to throw a breaking ball. I, I kind of learned a little bit on my own from my, some of my teammates a little bit, but I didn't use it unless I needed it. If I run into a guy that was timing me pretty good, it was on me pretty good. I mean, a lot of times I'd break it out, try to try to, a lot of times I throw it at him, you know, try to, you know, yep. break it down, but started at him, you know, a little bit. I just wanted to see what he had. You know, I didn't, you know, see if it made him. A lot of times it just locked him up. Not that it was a strike or anything. I wanted him to say, oh, he's got that too. Right. You know, because all they saw him, if I threw, I mean, if I threw 100 pitches, so to speak, in a ball game, you know, 90, 
four of them are freaking fastballs. <laughs> and why not when you can hump it up there like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you look at the numbers don't lie. I mean, uh, my senior year, what was it? Um, I threw 124 innings my senior year, which was a lot. And but I had like 280 strikeouts or something like that, or 285 strikeouts. And you do the math. I mean, that's two point what per inning, you know? I mean, two point four <laughs> or something like that, or five or I mean, so it was I didn't get hit a lot. So the adjustment was coming into pro ball is people making contact with you right. and right. and the mentality, you know, and I, I knew that was gonna happen, which was I mean I it was a process for me. It's about, okay, I have to learn the off-speed pitches. And that's why I was gifted with the athletic ability. But you, a lot of times you can't be taught how to throw – I mean, you can't be taught velocity. I mean, throw hard power. You know, it can come a little bit better. You can enhance it a little bit. But you can be taught how to throw a breaking ball. Mm-hmm. And, and also – but you got to buy into the things, and, and you got to work hard at it. And you're going you're gonna to get served your lumps, which I did. You know, and over the course of time, I kind of figured it out a little bit, and then it helped me. You know, yeah. so the no hitters, you know, in high school, I mean, that was a great thing. Um, I mean, every pitcher wants to throw one like that, and it seems, it seems like I run into it. And a couple of times where I threw one were like Easter tournaments, and we were facing like we were two A high school, we were facing the five A high schools. Sure. They wanted to play us because we were ranked in the nation at one. You know, I know my senior year was. Uh, we were ranked, like got up to like seventh or fourth or something at one time in, in the nation, you know, as a, you know, as a high school, as far as a baseball program. And we had those guys from like Raleigh area up there in the school. They wanted to play us. So sure. Bring it on, asked right? me, he said, he said, you want to pitch against these guys? I said, what do you think? Hey, give me the ball. <laughs> you know, and, so, and they wanted to see me and they got it, you know, that type of thing. And I know hit a couple of those guys like that. So, I mean, that's great. That's what it was. But I had one nine in and, Nine in and one, which was in Legion Ball, and he usually didn't pitch me like that. But um, we usually, I mean, maybe split a game or something like maybe pitch five innings or something. With, you know, I mean, but that was the type of game. You know, it was after you know, the regular season, so I, so I was stretched out, you know, seven innings all the time. But I was, you know, and I had one of those games where I didn't give up anything through seven. He let me go, you know. And I, you I, I think I don't know. I threw nine innings and. Punch out 20, 21 or something like that. I can't remember something. <laughs> I mean, but you're facing the better caliber guys, yeah. you know, for Legion Ball from your area. Yeah. You know, which was good. I mean, it was. It was yeah, foreshadowing I mean, for uh, for years to, to come in 1991, <laughs> which we're going to talk about yeah. in a minute. But, but you know, you, you mentioned something. You said you, know, you were you were a, a big fish in a small pond when you're playing yeah. high school ball. But you get drafted right out of high school. And now yeah. I would imagine it flip-flops because you're a very small fish at that point in a very big pond, in a talented pond. Yes. And you mentioned having to, to learn how to pitch. Who, who were the guys that helped you? The teammates, coaches that, that helped you learn that, that you know, I learn the you, other side of pitching? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, Murph, you know, you've been around big league guys and, you know, stuff and, and, different, and different attitudes and different way they go about their business and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, I was fortunate enough to come up, I mean, really in the brave system. And I was supposed to go like fourth or fifth in the fourth or fifth pick in that, that draft that year. Right. And it was a pretty good draft. If you look back at, you know, that 1985 draft, you can pull it up, you know, you, you had Sir Hoff, uh, Will Clark, yeah. uh, Bobby Witt, Pete Cavilla, Barry Bonds, Rafael Palmero. Um, there were some, there were some pretty big stout guys in there. And, uh, and I got, I was supposed to go to Cincinnati, you know, and Cincinnati chose a shortstop from Arizona State. 
which was Barry Larkin. I thought that was a pretty good pick. For yeah, him. they did. It right worked out pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but and I dropped a little bit in Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta. When it comes to guys who signed me, Smokey Burgess and Bill White, uh, they said we couldn't believe you were still there. You know, so he says there's no way we were passing you up. You know, I mean, you were the best arm in the draft. You know, and uh, so I mean, I was fortunate enough to uh, to have uh, people who cared about me who who had seen me. You know, and really, you know, Smokey, you know, he was the area scout for the North Carolina in that area. So he was there. He says, I saw you a ton. I see. Hey, he said, I saw you when you were, when you were 12 and uh, like starting your sophomore year wow. in high school. And because the way they were, they were, they were scouting a couple other guys on my team who ended up getting drafted that year when I was a sophomore. So he kind of hands, hands and head. But when you get into pro ball, people who had that influence on you were something. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to have Leo Mazzoni as a pitching coach. Um, and I still think, I mean, don't, you know, I think he was especially younger when I was younger and during his time and he was younger, he was a great minor league pitching coach. I thought me much more better than, um, than a big league pitching coach, but I mean, look what he was dealt with in the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he, had a pretty he molded guy. guys. He had <laughs> major influence. I got a light that's flickering on me on a second. Uh, yeah, don't screw it. I mean, he, uh, I mean, just his the way he went about his business, his fire. I called him the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> you know, I mean, he'd go Yosemite Sam, you know, because <laughs> he had the mustache and he was, you know, he was five, nine, five, 10 at the most, five, nine, and a little left-hander, you know, he had the attitude to start with. So, I mean, but the attitude kind of, that's what they were trying to get out of me. So it was him and, um, and, I was, and you won't believe this, but Liam was only in 1986. It was the year after I was drafted. I went to rookie ball, didn't fall in spring training in 86. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I met Wendy, by the way. Okay. Um, and I had Leo that year in Sumter, but the manager that year in Sumter was the current Braves manager now, Brian Snicker. Oh, he was, that, that was his first managing job. I had him. What a great guy. Yeah. Catcher. He got pitchy. I mean, he was younger, but I mean, you, what a great guy uh, and and good stern coach. I mean, you, you expected things in the way you play the game. He's that way. Now you can see the way he goes about his business and with the guys and, you know, he's dealing with a lot of crap now, but um, you know, I, I know it's hard for him. I know it's hard to him the way the game, then when I knew him and the way the game's played now, sure. You know, so yeah. I know there's some, I know he kind of gnaws at the old school guys a little bit. I know, but it is a different era. But uh, I had him and then Jim Beecham. Okay. You remember the uh, Braves bench coach? So I had Leo and, and Snicker my first year. Then I had Leo and Jim Beecham my double A wow. year and my triple A year. So those two guys, I think, I mean, Leo and, and, and Jim Beecham were a huge, huge influence in my life because the, the key to me, I thought, would why I made it to, I mean, I had ability, I kept learning. But I was missing that short breaking ball, which I ended up going, you know, I did it my way in a little bit coming up. I'll tell you about that. But um, the attitude when you crossed the white line, you know, I was the good old country boy, good old, I wanted to please everybody. Right. And finally, I got a little bit, bit of that pee and vinegar in me I needed <laughs> when I crossed that line, you know? Yeah. And because, and, and you know, it was one day in AAA and, and I was throwing, I mean, probably had the best stuff all year. And, um, it was on a Sunday. I was playing the Kansas City Royals. I'll never forget. It was an afternoon game during the week or something. 
you know, and I broke like two bats in half and blew, blew base hits. And I think I might've walked or hit somebody, but he got bases loaded. And uh, I mean, it was like the fourth inning. I mean, I had, I mean, I knew I had good stuff, you know, and then I gave, I gave up a, a, a base hit that got in the gap and they scored all three runs. Mm. And that's with two outs, you know, and I was chapped, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and I was walking, I got the ball back and I had my back to the dugout, you know, off the mound. I got it back and I turned to walk up the mound and Leo was already halfway out. And I was up there and I, and I said, what the bleep are you doing out here? I said, and he caught, he was on the mound. He, he, I said, get, carry your bleeping tail back to the, you know, dugout and get off my mound. I said, you know, and I told him, man, I was pissed. I mean, and, uh, he said, and he walked a little closer and looked at that, looked at that and he says, I've been trying to get you to say that to me for three damn years. <laughs> yeah. Great. He says, take what you're feeling, that, that passion, that, you know, a little bit anger, that yeah. pee off, you know, feeling that you got and channel it to the dish. Don't let everybody out here know you're that, you know, and it's, and it kind of started making sense to me. I mean, cause they were, him and Jim were the same way. They were trying to get me to, get a little agit, get a little pee and vinegar right. in me and, and, and try and it started making sense. So we, then we really talked about it. I mean, cause I was starting to get it a little bit after that. And, and that was the difference. Cause I went out there with an attitude when I pitched and that's, um, and that's what, I mean, even though I knew all of these guys and, and that's what I saw in Glavin, but it was quiet. It was in, you didn't ever see him lose it outwardly. And that's what mad dog did. I mean, Maddox, yep. you know, I mean, he was, I mean, I never played with Maddox. I've come up, but I, I played, you know, in spring training with him a little bit and spent a lot of time talking to him a little back in 98, back when I went back to him and, uh, and spring training and it work out for me. But I got a chance to spend some time, went out to dinner a few times with Maddox. We, you know, had a lot of good conversations. And uh, you saw that in those guys, sure. you know, and it started making sense to me a little bit. Then you, then you start watching who has an influence on your life. I said, I had to, you're being a big league pitcher is one of the best jobs in ever. Yeah. You go and you have to go out and execute on that fifth day or fourth day, whichever works. Cause a lot of times we pitch on the fourth day. Sometimes, mm -hmm. especially in the brave system, we, we were cut short guys in the minor leagues. We had to pick it up. Sometimes we had to pitch on the fourth day, you know, and, uh, and that you don't very rarely see that anymore unless maybe they're in the playoffs, you know, if you right. get there, but, um, but, uh, you know, have, uh, Leo, and, and beach, you know, they instilled a lot that, that, that vinegar in me a little bit. And it carried for me when I was traded over a little bit, right before I was traded, um, I'd got sent down from the big leagues because I, I was in between the throwing the, the slider and, and the curveball, And, and, and by, and they sent me down and Bobby and they wanted me to throw the curveball because they didn't want me to mess with my elbow. Okay. But the slider more. So, I mean, that was what I got from him, you know, but when I got back to Richmond that day, uh, Jim, Jim Beecham was still in, he was still in triple a and Leo and, and Dow Canton had just switched from bigger, I mean, triple a and minor league guys. So Leo went to big leagues and I had it for a couple of weeks there and then they sent me down. And, and when I got back, they give you three days to get back to wherever, you know, you're going to triple a. So I, I used all my time to get there because you have to drive back, you have your car, you know, and all that. So I show up three days later, they have a double header that night. Um, I just get my Jersey and stuff and go there, taking BP on the field 
you know, I hadn't pitched in three days, so I was good, you know, because I was working out of the pen some too with Atlanta, which was the first time I'd ever done that, you know. So it was a learning experience and, you know, it really helped me in the long run because I ended up pitching in Philly a little bit and it really helped me. But, uh, um, but um, I got back that day. I went out in the outfield and all of a sudden I heard, hey, shoot fire, come here. And that's why Jim Beecham used to call me shoot fire, <laughs> you know. And uh, <laughs> so I went run up to the bench and him and Del Canton were, you know, we talked on the stop, top step of the dugout, I mean, of the bench. And, um, and he said, hey, I just got off the phone with Bobby. He said, uh, they want you to, uh, they don't want you to throw the slider when you're down here. They want you to throw the curveball. I said, whoa, wait a minute, bitch. I said, I'm down here for a reason. I said, you can go get back on the phone with Bobby. You know, I love Bobby Cox. You know, he's a great guy. I mean, player's guy. He, and he said, you can go tell I'm going to throw what the bleep and I, I want to throw. It's about me now. It's not about, you know, yeah, you're, know, working I, I, you're working to get yeah, back. Yeah, I'm working to get back. And I'm right. and sort of like I said, this is about me now. I'm going to throw what I think I need to throw to get better. And Jim Beecham looked at me and he says, you're going to do fine. He <laughs> says, you're going to do shot fine. Shoot fire. Turned and walked away. You know, he, he said, that's what he was looking for for me. Yeah. He, and, and before and before really before right when you first talked to me when we first started, you know, <clears throat> they were short on pitching that night and they had a double head. He's just can you give me a couple innings after added a pin tonight? If I need to say, yeah, I'm good to go. You know, I got in the game. <laughs> I pitched two innings. I think I faced five right-handers and one left-hander and punched five of the six out. Use, I mean, not all sliders, but I mean, but that and using that pitch too, it right. made a difference. Um, I mean, it's all about, it's all about me believing what I need to do. And I think that's every, once you got that belief in what you need to do and you getting it like that. So like what Eflin did last, you know, last year, good enough. I mean, and I, exactly right. I yeah. really like that when, when he said, I, I, I'm going to do what, it, I, what got me here and I feel, I mean, this is my, and he does a good job, but yeah, it's going to always be a work in progress. I mean, I mean, the Grom's a different cat. He's in a different category, but you're right. It's a very similar situation. You talk about, yes. you know, every, anyone that knows you knows you're an affable guy. And, and, and yeah. as you said, like want to please people and, and people yeah. like, but, but, and, and Zach's a similar kind of guy, just a really nice person, person. but, but when it comes to your craft and being out there on the mound, you guys need to take ownership of that. And if you really, to, yeah. you really need to get that. Look, I mean, what it took about for me was to get that look, little little vinegar in you mm -hmm. you know and and stand up for yourself a little bit and it takes a little bit of time for me but i mean it, i can be pushed to that point i'm not i'm not a hothead and stuff like that i mean I'm a, i mean one of my good friends ricky Metallica, is completely opposite you know <laughs> yeah. and his first thing is to fire off you know mine's not it takes me a little bit to point i'm gonna sit there i'm gonna make sure i got all my info right and what i believe i'm feeling and and then i'm gonna give you you, you know right. if it, something needs to change you know i'll go about it more tactfully yeah, and, <laughs> and, and not only that, but when you came into the minor leagues, you were 18 years old, and you know, oh, you're, yeah. you're still you're still figuring things out in life at that point. Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. One <laughs> Let me ask you about uh, about the the day that you made your major league debut, because obviously, you know, on this particular podcast, I, I always ask the guys, yeah. "What do you remember about that day?" Because oh, it's funny. Yeah. Well, good. You know, tell, tell us about that because it's, it's funny to me. Day, yeah. It's uh, a day that you would never forget. Right. Well, it, was in, it was in Cincinnati. Right. Uh, 
And uh, I'm pretty sure, was it a day game? I think it, I think it was. Um, but I can't remember who was umpiring that day. It really doesn't matter because I hate all of them on the field. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, and uh, Herm Winningham was the leadoff batter. And the left-handed batter. And, the, and Jody Davis was my catcher. And he's a, that's a big, he's a big dude. You know, yeah. he yeah. was a big catcher, you mm-hmm. know, big, tall, you know, and he's sitting on the outer half and I throw one, right. I mean, my first pitch in the big league was right there. Bang. And the umpire looks over his shoulder and goes ball. <laughs> and I jumped back. I mean, I grabbed the ball. I got, I didn't do anything. I got, I got back on the mound. He was looking for a reaction. Oh, how about that? Hey. And I threw it in the same place next time. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ended up striking out my first bat. That was my first league bat. I ended up striking him out. And it was funny because Leo Leo had always, you know, during the course of my minor league years, seasons with him, you know, parts of, you know, over three years with him, um, he was always talking about you probably gonna get your you probably gonna get an opportunity. If you just keep taking those steps forward, not taking two steps back. And starting off every year, we sort of where you left off at, you know, and keep right. progressing. Mm-hmm. You know, you were probably going to get your opportunity. You know, and he was always the little things. Don't be in all of the situation that you're in. Like when you get to the big leagues, the game's played 60 foot, six inches away from you. You know, I got a problem with him trying to move the mound back too, by the way. <laughs> but uh, um, so, and that was one of the things. So a lot of times, if you ever saw me pitch, I was always one of these guys. I came out, first went out there, I was always, boom. You know, I'd always give that little tug to, let, to remind myself the game is there, just like it was in high school when I pitched it, you know. And yeah, and he always had those little things, you know. He says, don't get caught doing this. Right. You know, getting all of the situation. The game's played that way. And uh, and and whatever you do, don't – I mean, don't – one of the – I mean, ours rules was, I must say, you don't show – I didn't want nobody showing me up, and I'm not going to show nobody else up. Umpires – especially because they're not going to do nothing, you know, screw you, you yeah, know, in the long run. They're going to make yeah. your life miserable. If, uh, and, it was, yeah. and it was tough enough with Joe West, you know, dealing with Larry Bowen in the dugout, screaming <laughs> from the dugout, you know, dealing with that guy out there. You know, Dutch had to jump on Larry one day. <laughs> Shut up. You know? You're killing us out here. You're killing us out here. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, but was, I mean, some of the little things that, you know, that help you over the long haul, you kind of learn. And things to get back up with that really had my my opening day, my first first outing because they kind of come back to hey, you get on the man and say, hey, fish, don't worry about the umpire, let the catcher take care of it. That's his part of his job, you know, a little bit, have the repertoire with that a little bit. Yeah. You know, and, and you get tested sometimes, and the umpires test you a little bit to see, you know, we're testing how far we can go with corners and stuff, and they set their line, you know. Yep. And you gotta abide by it. You know what I mean? <laughs> because they're not going but if you show them you can consistently do things. You never know. You might get that call. Yeah. And that's what Maddox and Glavin were good at back in the day. You know, they, they could consistently hit that and not move, you know, because the catcher sat there and they could hit him, hit that center of the body. Their plate wasn't a plate over here. Their plate was there. And they hit that catcher right in there, and that catcher could make him look real good. So the umpire had to make a decision. So we, me and Leo and all the – we talked about that a lot, you know, and how to, you know, you know, with the catchers, you know, how to deal with, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, you know, there and, and let the umpire do that. And a lot of the little things, you know, which yeah. is you learn about, we got the best job in the big leagues. One day I'm pitching and four other days we're watching the other best, 
Best, <laughs> That's why your golf game's so good. You know, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I never played back then, but I mean, you get to watch the other best in the business pitch, and you can learn from them if you allow yourself. If, to, if, to, if you're smart enough to let yourself, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the key. I talk to our players all the time about that. You know what what they do on their off days, watching the other guys and what they're picking up. Uh, it, it's interesting. What's interesting to me, you know, hearing you talk about uh, Mazzoni and and mm-hmm. you know, great coaches, great managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 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 half baseball coaches and, and half psychologists, you know, that they, yeah. they're trying to give you every <laughs> tool that mm-hmm. you need because you, you need it between the ears too, to, to be successful in the big leagues. And, and the big, and you're exactly right. And the big thing, I mean, I think, I don't know more so about this because I'm not around the, the guy, the coaches in the clubhouse, like that atmosphere and the way, and when they work, I know the big thing, you know, obviously with me, you know, and Leo and them, they weren't, they were challenging me. Yeah. As, as, a, as a guy, yeah, yeah. They, they physically, but they were challenging me, challenging me to be not better physically, you know, that, that would come challenge me with here mm-hmm. and, you know, to get that gut being that head together, you know, all of them. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Thinking. Some people never get it. Then some people, you know, thank God I got it, you know, because yeah. it really helped me. You know, and it's not the end all be all thing, but it really helps you uh, when you're competing in, in, in at that level, and especially when you come from where I did, you know, in the high school and stuff. And you didn't have a lot of failure, and then you right. come into mind where you're playing with guys that are capable as you are. You know what separates you? You know, you got to find something that separates you, and a lot of that is those intangibles, that gut and that that fire and stuff that you don't, you know. You don't see it in some guys, and some guys you do. You see that yeah. tenacity. And a lot of times you see that in the guys who don't have as good a stuff as you got, but they find a way to get it done. That's where you learn. That, you know, he's, I got better stuff than he's got. Why am I? Well, there's something missing, you know? Exactly. So you start kind of gut checking a little bit. So. Yeah. yeah, and that's true in all sports. You know, great players, uh, they figure it out physically, but then they also figure out mentally. That, how to have that edge and and i think yeah, you know, exactly that's how you're successful at the at the and, you know, professional level and i always told leo i mean i'm a mechanics guy which was he was uh, he was real good at that and then i was fortunate enough to have johnny johnny mm-hmm. padres mm-hmm. you know when i come to philly what man. a class guy great great man he was he had the other side of it which was the more get that old school out of you he was that old school guy you know and and it, I mean, he knew how to push my buttons a little bit and to fire me up. I mean, in the right way, you know, to get that. And he did the same thing with Schilling. You know, I mean, right. it wasn't but good. It wasn't but good things that me and Schill we had to we had to command down and away from a left-hander to keep, to keep and not and be able to hit that pitch. What made Kirk so great was that that down and away fastball, and also to be able to ride it up too. But we both pitched a lot alike in that. But to be able to command that down and wait to a left or a left hand and not let it run off the plate, but be able to bang and you know hit make that pitch and, and you know and he had that fire about him the way he pitched the way he went about it and uh, they got the other side him and Leo kind of I correlated them together a little bit more they they ham and egged it in my book as far as how I dealt with things so yeah it was it was a pretty good I was fortunate enough to have those guys around. Me. I've I've heard uh, Johnny Padres uh, some legendary stories about when he came out to the mound to have conversations. Uh, he, do you do you remember any of any of those particular conversations that you had with Padres when he's coming out? Well, to yeah, I, was, I, I mean, I, I, thank God it wasn't the one that he had with Schilling in Cincinnati. 
You know, now you heard about that one, right? Is that you know, the fireworks by the, by one? The fireworks yeah. one. That was, <laughs> well, that so, was, that so was people, hilarious. That's one of the best ones. So the people yeah, that are listening. One. Yeah, uh, Johnny Padres goes out to the mound after Schill had given up what back-to-back home runs. At least. And, yeah, and, and, <laughs> and he comes out to the mound and he says to Schill, and Schill says, you know, I, I don't need you out here, Johnny. I, I don't yeah. need you out here. And and Padre says, "Well, I'm only out here so they can reload the fireworks." <laughs> That's true. I saw Dutch's face. You know, and I, and you knew something funny happened. Yeah. You know, when because you we couldn't hear him out there, but I was like, you looked at Dutch's face, he, and when Dutch turned around, he was laughing, and uh, you knew something went on. You know, Johnny uh, marches off like he does. You can see him walking the way he does. Tell me, <laughs> and not he to got back and he saw. He said, "I told him, I said, I was letting the, the guy reload. We just, I, we were dying, and even though we we were down in the game, we started. There's sometimes that stuff helps you. Sure, you know, on the mound sure. to break break up the intensity. So, I mean, it's good to have that intensity, but if you're if you're in your head too much, it locks you up. Right. You know, and some of the best things has happened. I mean, I, it wasn't really so with me. I, he comes out, uh, you know, and I'm trying to remember some things. He's, you know, there was more or less stories of me and Dutch, probably, you know, Dutch would come out to me, you know, and then but Johnny's come out there. Hey, Johnny was always probably, hey, you're throwing the ball good. You, <laughs> <laughs> you're throwing the ball great. Now. Just keep doing what you can. Uh, I can't keep doing what I'm doing, Johnny, because I'm, I'm getting, getting crushed killed out here. here. Yeah, he said, well, hey, you throw the ball good, and it's going to come, babe, but you got to you – know, he tried to reinforce it. was always a positive with John. He was always positive, which was which is a good thing. And Dutch, Dutch would come out there and say, sometimes he's – Dutch would say, you ain't got bleep today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I said, you you think I don't know that? He said, and Dutch would just say, hey, trust me, follow me. We have to use a little bit of smoke and mirrors right now. It might come, it might come as you go. And a lot of time it happens like that. If you can fight through that, that inning or two, and survive. Yeah, you might give up a couple runs. As long as it's not you're not giving double digit runs up per inning. You give up a run. I've times I've given up a run for a second, third inning, pitch seven or eight innings and right. get and, and give up three runs. That was it. You yeah. end up finding that, you know, and, and that was the type of thing. And Dust would say, you know, we we sort of laugh about it and it sort of calmed you down a little bit. You know, he got crap today, you know. <laughs> I said, I know. He said, Hey, hey, trust me. He, that's what was Dutch's biggest thing. He would tap his chest. And he said, trust me. He said, we'll lose I mean, a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but trust me. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's what he'd say when he'd call a pitch and maybe I'd shake him off, you know, he would go, if he, if that's what he wanted, he'd look at me. I mean, he'd just go yep. tap his glove. Trust me. Yeah. And more often than and not. They, they it was easy to, you have to trust, you have to trust your guy, yep. you know, because if you don't, you're going to, you, I mean, you'll get a little lazy, man. <laughs> And leave that ball up in the zone or whatever, and you get, get hammered. But if you believe in in that, you tend to execute maybe a little bit better. And then there's times I've shook him off in Dutch, and you can see him. He'll go, okay, he's go to another pitch, boom, I execute, and he, and then he'll say, no way. I mean, it's that trusted feel you got to figure out. You know, it's not. I see guys shake off a lot, but I think the relationship with the catcher, you know, is a great thing. And I don't know what they do where they take off their hat and what kind of information they got in their hat, how to do things. And I, I, I can't fathom that on the field. You know, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get that stuff. Yeah. The new so, way, uh, the new way. It's so funny. I've talked to so many of your teammates uh, over the years and, and <laughs> two things uh, always come up from that, that group of 93. One is invariably 
someone mentions Darren Dalton because yeah. uh, just, you know, what he meant to that team and what he meant to you guys. Um, oh, God. As people. Oh, God. I, I know you and, and Dutch were uh, yeah. very close. The other, the other thing that gets mentioned a lot is how the game was played then and, and how the game is played oh, today. Yeah. Um, no. It is so different. But, no. but let's not talk about that. Let, let, let me talk. Let me ask you. Yeah, about... we couldn't read. Yeah, we couldn't <laughs> read. Why, how could we... yeah. How's that going to help you, right? <laughs> How's that going to help us? Going to put these things in our hats. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So. But uh, but Dutch, uh, I I know you guys were close close friends. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, you know, as as a leader of that team, you know, everybody has a story about Dutch and and what he did for the '93 Phillies, and and then oh, yeah. you know later in his career with the Marlins. Uh, yeah. But but he was just like one of a kind. It's a special kind yeah. of leader, right? Yeah, he, he really was. Um, and he, uh, he and uh, on the field, not just on the field and off the field. Yeah. You know, he was, he was there. He was that strong leader, that strong person. And, and not, not just when you, you know, he, he was there, he'd give you that look and a little bit of, a little bit of pat on the back or butt, or there was that time where he could, he, he needed to, to, to let you know, and you know, get on you mm-hmm. and challenge you, you know, which was what he, he did that to me and Shill, you know, because he said, you know, we were struggling that year in 93 a little bit. We went through a, a, I went through a dead spot. My arm was just felt like jello, but it wasn't hurting. I wasn't hurting anything. I just had nothing, you know, it felt like I had the spring training blues again, you know, mm-hmm. when you're trying to do, but and you end up getting there. Cause I was dealing the first 12 starts of the year. I had like a one six or so. To, you know, I was, and we, that's what being sure we jumped off. I mean, he was eight and one, I was eight. No, or something like that. And, yeah. You know, and, um, we went through the, at the same time we sort of struggled and that was the key to our year. I think, um, we all didn't go bad at one time. We had three guys through the five man rotation that went probably pitching good. If two were going bad, the other three were holding it down to give us a chance to win. And a lot of times we won, you know, three out of five games all the time. It seemed like, you know, yeah. that's a yeah. winning recipe, <laughs> you know, no and, doubt and, about and, it. And, sort of, and then if, you know, and if when me and Shield got back on track, I mean, you're not going to deal all the time, which is what makes Degrom and I mean, so special guys to shirts. I mean, they're special dudes, man. And I mean, that's what we all work and strive to be is consistent like that. And a lot of it depends on his health and stuff like that. But Dutch had a way about him. You know, he really challenged me and Shield during that stretch to get better. You know, and be and and, and you know not back off, not be afraid of the situation that we're in. You know, we were still young guy. I was a young guy. I know he was treating me, he was challenging me to be better. Yeah, and it sort of uh, peed me off a little bit, but also, it, I mean, he would talk to you a little bit. Just why we, you know, he challenged you to get you fired up a little bit, and then he talked to you. It was sort of like what Vuk would do. Vuk was the same way. Right. You know, he, he uh, I was fortunate enough to have those guys. That's why you love them so much. Yeah. He said, because – you know, if they didn't care about it, they wouldn't talk to you about it. Exactly right. You know, and, and, so and, I mean, that's what you know, that's why I come out. From, I mean, Dutch was such a great guy because he grabbed you under your wing. You know, afterwards, I mean, and you know, it was like we dealt with business. Now, you know, he was, he separated that pretty good. You know, yeah. what I mean, he was such a and class he did it, act. He did it with every. What's amazing is he did it with everybody on yeah. that team. You know, there there's not a guy on that team that doesn't recognize what Dutch did that year for them and, and, and in subsequent years as well, um, yeah. it, across the board, you know, it's, it's really kind of remarkable when you, when well, you have to think about it. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, he sold like, I mean, it was sort of like EF Hutton. I mean, yeah. if he said something, it was, 
everybody shut up and listen. You know, I mean, and you listen because he didn't. He just didn't say something to say it. You know, when it was he, he, he wasn't always talking. Everybody asked me about like Lenny. That was, was Lenny, everybody thought Lenny was the, the say to speak star. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, the way I looked at it, I mean, but Lenny didn't talk. Lenny didn't. I mean. As long as Lenny was hitting and catching, playing the way he was doing, leading off the way he was, I didn't care what he did. Exactly. You know, <laughs> but all I know, I wouldn't listen to what he had to say. Right. I was, I mean, it had it was coming from Dutch. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's who I who I would go to if, if Lenny said something. I would I would have a conversation with Dutch about it. You know, unless and then Dutch you know, would turn around but, and have but, with Lenny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, but but this that didn't never happen. But to me, everybody Lenny just did his thing, and that was just him. It was different vibes. You had Crucky and Lenny. Yeah. I'm mean, like Crucky and, and Dutch being uh, to me, they were the guys who held water to me. Right. You know, Crucky could be get on you and, and have fun. I mean, have fun with you a little bit, but he was, you know, you knew when he was serious and when he was busted on you, but uh, uh, D- Dutch was the guy. That was, those are the two guys I, I uh, you know, uh, yeah. that I listened to. I mean, I really made, when they started talking, to, I mean, I paid attention to a little bit. Crucky could get on you. And have fun. Oh, believe me, on I know. You. Yeah, you know that. You know, he's getting on everybody. Yeah. So you take it with a grain of salt, but oh, the underlying Crucky is one of the nicest dudes oh. on the place of the planet. And sometimes he'll come in every day and like, I hate pitchers. You know, and he look at you. That was just his attitude. And I'd I say, would... I'd make him mad too. Yeah. I'd make him mad. And I said, You're just mad because it's my ball and you can't play unless I throw it. <laughs> I got control of it to the game and said, and he'd look at me. He's like, "God dang, you're right." <laughs> you know, I said, uh, "You know, so I mean, we have fun together." He was, he was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. You know, Crucky people was. ask me about Crucky all the time, and what I always say is, he's an absolute curmudgeon, but he's our curmudgeon, and we love him for it. Because <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> that's, that's a good way to put yeah. it, Murph. <laughs> that's uh, that is John uh, to a team. I would imagine he wasn't a whole lot different when he was playing. All no, right. no, he would change too much. <laughs> no, he yeah. hasn't. All right. I, I, before I let you go, um, I, I want to ask you, we just celebrated this, the uh, anniversary of your big league no-hitter, not your yeah. nine that you threw in high school, but oh, one that you, you threw. Didn't, <laughs> you didn't throw the three I threw in the minor league. Well, right? there you go. I mean, the, you, well, I did throw three. I almost threw. I mean, my pro, I had three with, with two outs, two strikes on the last batter and lost all three of them. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is kind of cool. I had you on the the pregame show uh, about a week ago to talk yeah. on the day you celebrated the anniversary of the of the no hitter. You told that story yeah. about that that how yeah. about having the no hitter. So during that day in Montreal, uh, mm-hmm. you never really allowed yourself to believe it was going to happen until that comebacker came back and you started running over to first. Right? Yeah, I mean I've, I've been in the situation before, you know, but not at the big league level. I yeah. mean, but the, it's still the games played the same way. I mean, hell, I was basically in a minor league park that day because there weren't but like 7,800 people there. That's true. You know? So, I mean, but they were they were loud. And they were standing up for me, you know, at the end of the game. But I've always liked pitching to Montreal. That man was probably one of the best slope mounds. I'd have, I always liked it, you know? But, um, you know, I, I thought about Leo, my last out. Uh, you know, my last out I probably told you about, you know, um, because after the three in the minor leagues, he was there for all of them. Yeah, you know, after the last one in the minor leagues and Triple A, he says, "When are you gonna finish one of these bleeping things off?" You know, and just <laughs> <laughs> you know, just Yosemite Sam, you know. Yep. And I look at him, and you know, so when I went up on the mound, you know, you know, for the last out, I mean, uh, for the last batter, and it was Tim Wallach, 
there was no way on the face of the planet I was going to go two strikes unless he fouled two balls down the middle off. Right. You know, I went right at him. Yep. Yeah. Well, I said, I mean, I said, here, let's go. <laughs> and he, and sometimes that's the way it happened because the ones I gave up in the minor league was a ball that far out the outside to a, a Latin guy that he hit basically one handed line drive by me. I was like, how did he hit the, how did he, I don't even know how he hit it. His butt went one way and he reached out with, and hit it. And the other one, the other one was the, about the end of the bat. 14, it seemed like it was about a 10 hopper through the first and second base hole. I mean, just that both guys dove and it just missed both guys glove, you know, it was slow. And the other one was a busted bat and half that if Limpke was an inch taller, he'd call at second base. Cause it kind of went over his glove. just like that. You know? uh, and that's but baseball. There, Right. Yeah, it's baseball, I mean, yeah. and, you know, and all pitches were, they were good pitchers. I mean, they were decent pitches, and that one right here was that, here, let's go. That's the way we treated Tony Grin finally after he, you know, first seven or eight times you face him, you get two strikes on him, yeah. and you throw pitcher pitches. I'm talking, Dutch comes back to Doug, I said, I don't know how he's hitting us. And he just, uh, he'd flip it out to left, we can pull it, then get through the hole and right. And then he asked himself, he said, he flipped his hands over, he said, he said, what do you want to do? And he said, what can I said, what haven't we done? I said, I said, let's go down the middle with him. Right, right down the middle. Said, let's go right down the middle. Next seven or eight times, grand ball second, grand ball short. Grand. It's like he didn't quite know what to do. Because that? you're not going to throw it by him. Yeah. Very seldom. You know? Yeah. You look know? At, you and Bonds was the same way. Yeah. Later, yeah. especially later. I mean, it's hard to throw it by. We get him every now and then. I got him up, you know in that situation when it was a, you know, it was a, it was a fast, I mean, it was a, his count, but you get him in that count where he wants to be aggressive. Then you got, I mean, you got a chance and Schilling was pretty good at that with him too. So, I mean, but that no hitter day was uh, a different day. Cause you know, Montreal's Montreal and we were there like three other nights before then. So you're dealing with guys on, <laughs> on the last leg of a bender probably. <laughs> yeah. Montreal is a fun city to, to visit. Uh, back in oh, the day. Oh yes, it was. You know, it's pretty good. I had a lot of good times there. Yeah, but uh, uh, but you you got the job done on that particular. Get them day. get them before they wake up is the old adage. Yep. Get them before they wake up on a on a on a day game getaway day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, whatever works. Uh, Tommy, always great to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking a couple minutes to spend with us here on Glove Stories. Uh, it's so much fun to relive the those special times, you know. And and there's uh, so many there's so many Murph. I mean, yeah. there's. You can't count. You know, a lot of times if people want to know, like the other night, they wanted to ask, you know, tell me some of the stories. And, you know, I said, guys, I said, what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. <laughs> I said, they want to hear the dirt. And I said, oh, that's yeah. not going to happen. That's yeah. not going to happen with me. Some guys will do it. I don't do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Every fun. now and then I'll, I'll kind of go in a little bit, but I don't go where they're wanting me to go. Yeah. So. We, uh, you know, those of us that weren't in the clubhouse uh, yeah. in 93 and, and, and beyond, uh, you know, we, we, we know some of the stories, but we also know that some yeah. of the best left behind those. those uh, yes. stories. A lot of them is better left alone. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No so. doubt about it. Well, Tommy, good to talk to you, man. And right. uh, I'm anytime, sure Murph. yeah, I'll be seeing you over at the ballpark real soon. All right. Yeah. Tell them that tell them, uh, hopefully after the fourth, I, you know, get a chance to see you more. That wouldn't that be nice? That yeah, it would be nice. nice. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right, yeah. Tommy, I'll talk to you. Right, soon. Thank Thanks you. for having me. All right. Glove stories with Murph is presented by parks, casino, sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
everyone welcome back to glove stories and it's a time on the program where we relive a game from that great 1980 season and we do so uh, by bringing in our good friend larry boa who uh, was a huge part of that championship season and a huge part of this organization going forward larry good to see you good to see you murph and uh, glad to see that you're back in action with the fighting field i like yeah. to hear you on the weekends <laughs> well, thank you it's All been right. good it's certainly good to be back and uh okay. as we sit here and talk uh an odd Friday night off for the team, which uh, I don't know if you ever had a Friday night off other than weather related. Never. The only, like you said, <laughs> if it was a rain out, I'm shocked. You know, I know it's happened a lot this year, but the very first time I looked on the schedule, look at this games and said Friday off. I'm like, wow, you gotta be kidding me. That's the biggest draw for teams. And, uh, yeah. but because of the interleague, I'm sure there's a lot of different uh, switches there and it's good for the, for the fills right now, you know, they need a day off and they're down in Florida. So hopefully they can, recharge those batteries and get it going again amen on that all right well we're not talking about a friday night we're talking about a thursday night back on july 10th 1980 the cubs were in in uh, philadelphia at the vet it was the beginning of a five-game series you had two with the cubs and then three with the pirates and the phil's right at this point of the season were a half game back in the east all right uh, you hadn't been in first place since the first game of the season uh, that was the only time this team led the division until you're a half game out coming into this game and it was mike kruko versus dick ruthven okay now we've talked about dick a little bit uh on the podcast before but give me your thoughts on mike kruko because he's a guy that we still see uh you know each and every year is with the the giants organization as a broadcaster what kind of pitcher was mike he was a very good pitcher murphy very competitive had a tremendous curveball 12-6 curveball he had good velocity he, he, he'd make sure you didn't lean out over the plate. I mean, he was, he was a competitor and every time we played them, we knew we were in for a big time battle. Uh, you know, he wasn't this guy that goes five innings. He, he would battle you tooth and nail when he had his real good stuff. You really had to grind. And sometimes if the breaking ball wasn't over, you could sit on the hard stuff. But most of the time the curveball was working for him. That was a big pitch for him. And uh, it seemed like every time we played them, uh, we got him in the series one way or the other. Well, you got him in this particular night, and the Cubs were coming off a game where they had lost a 20-inning game the night before in Pittsburgh and had to come into Philadelphia after that. Uh, so I got, I would imagine you guys were kind of licking your chops a little bit, thinking these guys are going to be sleepwalking, right? We were. And, and, you know, when you go over your meetings and everything, even though it was 20 innings, we never said in a meeting to, that I can remember, make this guy work and get to their bullpen. It was it was a complete different philosophy. It was, yeah. hey, when you guys see a, a fastball or breaking ball you can hit, let it go. Right. And uh, we knew they had come in, and we knew they got there late. Uh, and matter of fact, I'm almost positive they didn't even do anything on the field that day. We, sure. you know, when we were hitting and everything. In fact, I, I do know that because we, you know, normally we hit first. That we had everything moved back, but we were hitting in their spot. So it was definitely an advantage for us. Although I wish they could have had to come from, I uh, would have had to come from the West Coast. Yeah. Pittsburgh's a short hop, but yeah. still the fact that they probably didn't get into 334 in the morning. Yeah, but we you know took advantage to... of that as far as we knew they were tired. And, uh, you know, that's just the way it was back then. You, that's right. You, you, you laced them up and played. That's the way you did it. All right. Well, the Cubs jumped on Dick Ruthman early. Uh, Yvonne De Jesus grounded out to lead off the game. Lenny Randall singles. Bill Buckner tripled and then Mike Vale singled and it was quickly two nothing Cubs in that one uh the name Bill Buckner obviously it, it holds so much in baseball lore but man he was a pretty good player especially for his time at the Cubs 
Murph, he was a great player. And, you know, I had the luxury of playing for him when I did get traded to the Cubs. Uh, and everyone talks about this guy's the air he made in the World Series. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you look at his, his stats, he's very close to a Hall of Fame player. Tremendous hitter. This guy, if people would realize what he goes through to get into a, to get ready for a game, he had bad ankles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when I was with him in, in, the, in Chicago, we would get there at 730 in the morning and ice it down. But he was a gamer. He played every day. He could hit. He's a tough out, and especially with men on base, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, people just remember that that uh, time in Boston, that one moment in time. And, you know, right. part of that was his injuries. He had such a hard time getting down at that point in his career. But, uh, but yeah, you got to remember him for the full career, and it was a good exactly. one. Exactly, yeah, exactly. No All right, well, bottom of the third, uh, here come the fight and fills with one out. Lonnie Smith triples and Pete Rose singles to make it 2-1. Uh, Cubs. Lonnie Smith is a name that we haven't talked a whole lot about. Uh, he was leading off at this point uh, of the season. And uh, man, you talk about a guy coming out and, and contributing when asked to Lonnie Smith. My goodness. Well, and you know, with Dallas, uh, if you weren't performing, he was not afraid to say, hey, you know what? Why don't you sit down next to me for a couple of days and we're going to let our kids play. Yeah. But our kids were very mature and they had gone through our system and they were, they were a big league ready when they came up here. We never very seldom did we bring a guy up where we brought him up and he really couldn't handle big league pitching. So we had to send him down. And that's a tribute to Paul Owens, who was to me, a tremendous evaluator, a tremendous general manager. When we brought somebody up, he didn't just come up to be a showpiece sitting on the bench and Dallas was not afraid to use Lonnie. And Lonnie and Keith Moreland, those guys did a tremendous job in 80. And again, you don't win a pennant with nine, eight or nine guys. We needed our whole bench. And Lonnie was a big time contributor. No doubt about it. And and we're going to talk a little bit more about that bench coming up in a minute. But uh, Cubs had another one with three straight singles in the fourth. So Ruthven getting hit around a little bit, but it's only 3-1. And uh, Dallas stays with Dick Ruthven. Uh, but in the bottom of the fourth, your bats come alive. Maddox leads off with a, with a walk. Trio safe on an error. You walk to load the bases and Bob Boone singles to make it, uh, well, the score's two, so make it 3-3. Three, three. Uh, Booney, again, another guy you just mentioned, Moreland, but Booney was was your anchor behind the plate and not really known as much for his offense, but, uh, you know, he came up with some big hits for you guys over the course of that season. He came up with huge hits. And you know the big thing about that lineup is, is that I was hitting basically seventh that, that yeah. during most of that year. And so I put the ball in play a lot. Booney didn't strike out a lot. So we had a lot of contact down there and he handled the bat. Well, Dallas wasn't afraid to put hit and runs on with your eight hitter. And so it was a lineup from top to bottom that would, that would, we didn't have power down there, but we, we were tough outs and we put the ball in play, but Booney, not only was, was he a clutch hitter, he he did a tremendous job handling pitchers. And if you notice that game again, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to compare the way baseball is now and, and when we played, but Ruthven went eight innings. Yes. I mean, we stretch yeah. them out and uh, we don't try to get 12 outs every night out of the bullpen. And that's right. exactly what happened. Uh, Dallas Green was a firm believer. I want my starting pitcher out there. I want I don't care how many pitches he throws. If he keeps us in the game, I'd rather have him out there than go to the bullpen early. And that's exactly what transpired. 
Yep, that's exactly right. And, and you know, so even though he's getting hit around a little bit, letting up a run here, letting up a run there, Dallas stays with them. And, it, you know, it turns out to, to be the right call ultimately uh, in most of these games. So uh, Lonnie Smith is hit by a pitch on the next batter. Rose sack fly. Uh, you score on that. You make it four to three at that point. So, again, to your point, manufacturing runs. And, you know, I know you – uh, it looked at the numbers before we talked about this game guys not striking out in these situations is huge you've scored three runs in this inning because guys put the ball in play somehow i tell you what we did not strike out a lot at all you know with the exception of schmitty and ball when he played other than that we put the ball in play and that was that was one of our mantras uh, with billy demar as a hitting coach yeah. when men are on the bases put the ball in play make something happen make the other team make a mistake and that's basically how we played the game of baseball. That's why when I watch the game today, I see the athletes are very good. If they would have a two-strike approach, they would even be better. But that's, a, that's the way it is today. But our, our philosophy was make the other team handle the ball, put pressure on them, and that's what we did basically for the whole year. Yeah, and uh, and at this point the Cubs are probably getting worn out because they haven't had a whole lot of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so you keep you keep the pedal on to the metal, and the bottom of the eighth, the uh, trio grounds out. You ground out. Boone gets a base hit, advances the second on an error, and then uh, the reason one of the reasons I picked this game because of this guy Greg Gross comes in, pinch hitter, uh, single. Booney scores, makes it 5-3. Greg Gross, it seems like if you look at the box scores in 1980, every time they tapped him, he came up with a big hit. Murph, it was uncanny the way he did this. I mean, yeah. and it wasn't always with a man on third less than two outs. He got some big two-out hits all year. And Del Unser, the other guy. And the thing about yeah. Gigi is you can put him in right or left. He was a very good outfielder. Was he a great outfielder? No, but he knew where to throw the ball at him. A, a, a little bit above average arm. He charged the ball. He was a big asset to us. And again, we go back to it. it wasn't eight guys that won it. We used the whole bench. And Gigi and Dell Unser were very much part of our success in 1980. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Dickie Knowles comes in to get the uh, shutdown inning. You guys win it 5-3. Uh, Still a half game back in the NL East at this point. Uh, Dickie Knowles was in there because Tug McGraw unavailable for this short period of time. Tugger was hurt. And again, Dallas had to turn to a couple different guys to get the job done. Right. And, and we had two kids at that time that we called up that during that year, Dickie and, and Kevin Sochet. But Dickie, as we all know, Dickie still working with the Phillies here, does a great job. But he came in and shut the door. And if I remember right, early in the year in, in, in 80, Tug, he didn't feel 100% at all. You know, he left spring training not feeling that great. But when we get into this a little farther down the road, he, he, kicks it in gear the second half and again without tug we don't have the ring yeah but dickie knowles did a tremendous job uh the thing about dickie we were always concerned about was control but he 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 that that situation did not bother him you know yeah. you think that, that that ninth inning there's no safety net there he could care less he went out <laughs> and did his thing and uh, a, another guy that was very important to our ball club yeah, you know, if, if you know Dickie Knowles at all, you know that he has that closer mentality. Even to this yeah. day, he has that well, closer mentality for sure. So, yeah, uh, and you need that. You need it. Yes, we, we did. Time we did. and time again. Yeah. We, we had a bunch of guys down there that, it, you know, even though Tug got hurt, uh, the reason I, I think that we didn't use Ron Reed is he was, we were using him a lot. So, yeah. Dallas, again, you know, you got to have a manager that believes in who they have there. And I remember Dallas saying this to one of the coaches because they were going to bring in somebody and they said, do you want to bring him in this situation? And he says, if we, if he's got a uniform on in the big leagues, I don't care what the situation is. We know he's ready to pitch. 
And that's how they basically ran their organization. If you were up here, they were going to use you. I, I love that. It, it's certainly different nowadays across baseball. I mean, right. every organization is different now, but yeah, exactly. that, that was a cool mentality for sure. Um, the next night you would uh, see the Cubs again, you'd beat them again. And for the first time since the first day of the season, you guys were in sole possession of first place in the NL East. Now it didn't last very long. In fact, you probably, you don't see it again. I don't think it's the longest. However, do you remember, was that something you guys were thinking about now you were a top? I mean, you're halfway through the season at this point. Well, I mean, we, you always, you always want to be at the top of the standings, but we were chasing all year. I mean, as good a team as we had, and, and we had a lot of pressure on us that, you know, we heard from our owner, Ruley Carpenter, that, Hey guys, I love all of you, but if we don't get to where we want to go, we're going to probably have to break up this team. Uh, that was in our minds but we were chasing all year and uh, we didn't ever take anything for granted. And, and like you said, it was short lived, but <laughs> eventually we got where we wanted to go. And, uh, but it was nice when you open up the paper the next morning, Philly's on top. But yeah. again, we knew we were going to be in a dog fight that whole year. And you certainly were. And we'll talk about some of those games uh, down the road, but for now, uh, Larry, thanks for helping us relive this game uh, back in July of 1980. All right, Murph. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app and is a production of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of our major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2021 Major League Baseball season.